Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today is the great Gabby Logan, an absolute titan of television, presenter, broadcaster, journalist, one of my absolute favorites as soon as gabby comes on the telly i just think this is going to be fantastic she's one of the all-time greats i think she's wonderful a great just such a great broadcaster great presence everything about her total legend poise she gives me posture envy i could go on and on uh, one thing that gabby and i talk about is stress in the workplace there's new research from the Global Health Service, Cigna, that's spelled C-I-G-N-A, and it's revealed that 86% of Britons are avoiding medical or professional advice when it comes to dealing with stress. Here's the crucial bit, despite knowing just how bad it can be for mental and physical health. If you want to find out more, Cigna.com. Key stats include one in seven Brits believe drinking alcohol helps them deal with stress, and a quarter turned to comfort eating to cope. Oh my days. Uh, only 14% would speak to a medical professional when feeling stressed. P preferring to talk to their partner, 46%. Family, 32%. Or friends, 29%. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I do, if you, if you do think that you have suffered or do suffer with stress in the workplace, I implore you to visit Cigna.com. Gabby and I talk about a great deal. We talk about our love of sport and what sport can teach you about life, how to be, uh, how you can be inspired by sport. People love sport for different reasons, don't they? But you, there are, Gabby and I are two huge sports fans. We talk about the Amazon show, Back of the Net. Gabby is part of a presenting Holy Trinity with Peter Crouch and John Bishop. Back of the Net is out every Tuesday at around 7 p.m. on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, it's a wonderful show. I'm biased because I'm the warm-up on it. But I know people... It's a football show, but I know people who don't like football who thoroughly love it just because it is... The show is pure sunshine, as is Ms. Logan herself. Uh, up top, we do talk about... Just to explain, we talk about... Because you may not be au fait with this great Leeds team of the late 60s and early 70s. For example, my wife is not a big football fan. So when it comes to the bit we're talking about her dad, Terry Yorath, she's not going to have a clue. So I've got to explain because there's no reason why you would know. If you're not a football fan, I'm getting very defensive. If you're not a football fan, there's no reason that you would know that Terry Yorath was one of the greatest ever players to pull on the iconic white shirt of Leeds United uh, underneath their enigmatic manager, Don Reavy, then Brian Clough into Jimmy Armfield. Anyway, I really am digressing there. Uh, and Terry Orth was such a, an integral part of that great Leeds team. I just want to explain uh, what we're talking about there. Uh, I guess that's it. Anyway, here she is, the wonderful, the great Gabby Logan. So Gabby, so I know, this sounds weird, so I know quite a lot about you, uh, <laughs> but uh, to explain, because I'm, I'm from Leeds, and so Gabby is part of Leeds royalty you know <laughs> but you're right it's true isn't it I, I said to you when i first uh when i first properly spoke to you that people from leeds this is very niche where i'm going with this people from leeds if you're of a certain age will talk about that that don reevee era with such a sense of uh almost like ownership of those 
players. They talk about Bremner and yeah, Europe. Yeah, in some ways, it's probably it's kind of held back almost next generations because there's this totally. You know, it's, it's almost a, a weight, a cloak of you know kind of expectation. And I know this from talking to people like Casper Schmeichel, who um, people I was, forget. That yeah, he was... he was at Leeds and, and the Brownlee brothers. I was with them at Spotty, and they went, "Oh, Casper, we've always wanted to meet you. Tell us, did you love being at Leeds?" And he went, "No, I hated it." <laughs> and they said, "Why?" And he went, "Because it's all about." the era gone by and it's so hard as a current player to live up to that which I thought was really interesting that you know he'd felt that that weight of kind of you know expectation that you have to be the ones that take us you know back to the promised land did you did you ever feel um I know some people have said that if they if they've had a a, a mother or father uh who were in the public eye they've actually found it that it's held them back they found it harder to break through did you have any of that at all um I wouldn't say so because you know I had two parents and so you know my mum is very different to my dad and she you know whatever I'd wanted to do or be or whatever you know she was very very supportive very positive person I think in in some ways my dad's quite naturally quite negative and I yeah. you know I might have actually wanted to avoid this whole industry you sure, know yeah. because he really kind of highlighted the pitfalls and the you know potential doubt he was very worried about me going into the world of football you know he didn't really feel that it was um an area that I you know could thrive in and that it would be when I first got offered a job by Sky he was really he was really quite nervous I think he was also nervous because you know he was there a young manager kind of up and coming in his career and I think he felt oh you know this could this could be awkward for both of us or it could be you know I don't think he was worried too much about himself but I think he was worried about me and I said don't worry about me I'll be fine sure. <laughs> and um and I didn't really you know I didn't know that there was a career to be had in that area anyway because I just was kind of going with the flow of what I was you know enjoying so um yeah I think it probably um it's probably it's probably balanced out do you know what I'm saying yeah, so yeah. the positives of him um having knowledge of the industry and knowing people so that when I did start working and I interviewed people it wasn't that they were going to give me a head start, but then they'd say something like, oh, you're Terry's daughter. And that made me feel like that they go, oh, OK, well, you you might be all right then. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so there was sure. a, bit, a bit of that. And then the other side, obviously, the kind of feeling that, well, oh, you're Terry's daughter. Oh, I didn't get on with him when I was a player. Right. <laughs> so there's, you know, it balances itself out, I think, probably. Isn't your mum an amazing businesswoman or something? She's a property developer yeah. and she's, yeah, she's got a very... Um... So that's the knowledge that people from Leeds have. My mum knew oh, really? knows really? all this about yeah, the... Yeah, the... no, she did. I mean, she, you know, back in kind of the 90s, when she, early 90s, she started out and she, um, she, through the 90s, she built up a really great um, business and she had, she had fantastic ideas and developed buildings in the centre of Leeds and um, and she's very very Leeds you know she's very pro Leeds she loves living in Leeds she'd never live anywhere else really I mean she had to move around the world when my dad was playing when we came back to Leeds that was it for her you know she's very much um, a champion of the city she loves the kind of civic causes you know she's involved in lots of local charities and things oh as well God. so yeah she's very she's very very fiercely proud and a lot of my, my Leeds family are oh, they've not moved If the furthest they've moved is Harrogate sure <laughs> and even that's like a yeah I mean it's a a, a different place in its own right because it's yeah you get Leeds with a very broad I mean I've lost my accent but say my, my sister has a very broad Leeds accent so around Leeds you get this thick Leeds accent and then Harrogate people talk like they're from their home county it's only they? eight miles away it's, it's absolutely <laughs> bonkers well, uh, so I, I'm a huge believer in that you should tell someone to their face if you think they're brilliant so I'm going to make you squirm a bit here Gabby you're so fucking brilliant as a as a pundit as a host as a presenter oh thank you, you, do, you do you have any do you can you even fathom how brilliant and skillful that you actually oh, are? Oh, that's so kind of you. <laughs> but not just not just on pre-records, but live. You're just such a. When you come on the screen, I think you said you said in a tweet once that you wish you were like Des. You surpass Des, my friend, because as soon as you come on the telly, I, I would imagine the certainly my shoulders drop because it's safe pair of hands time. That's really, really kind of me to say. And, and that is, I guess, the ultimate position you want to be in as a sports broadcaster. That the viewer feels. Okay, I can just, I don't have it's to worry. Gonna it's going to be okay. And we're, you know, I'm not going to lead you down a path of some, you know, because there's nothing worse, is there, when you're watching and, and as a professional, you want people to do well. And when you see somebody just getting out of their depth in a situation, because that's that's the, the, the thing about experience. You only get experience through experience, but you need experience to cope with the experience. So it's that whole kind of 10,000 hours Malcolm Gladwell thing about the hours in, in the seat. And I think where I was very lucky in my career was that I started out at Sky, which was doing hours and hours and hours of live broadcasting that very few people watched in the early days. So I was able to sure. do so much live TV and was probably, you know, kind of making mistakes and doing things that weren't quite right. But it wasn't 
going to be splattered all over social media because that didn't exist. It wasn't going to be splattered all over a newspaper because people weren't really noticing. So I guess when I look back, although it was quite terrifying at the very start to be thrown into that kind of bear pit of live television, it gave me so much experience. When I went to ITV, I'd already done, you know, loads and loads of live telly. Normally, you get a gig and you might have another week to wait for the. Sh- I was doing two shows a night on Sky because I was doing this kind of live sports news program. So if I made a mistake at six, I could rec- rectify it at ten. I didn't even go to sleep with it as a problem. Do you know what I mean? Sure, of course. And I have had those situations where I've done something wrong on air and I've gone to bed and tossed and turned for you know for hours thinking, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you know, it's it's always horrible when you leave a performance. You know that I'm sure as a stand up that you for know sure. you leave something thinking, ah, oh, that was just not quite right. But that's I guess the perfectionist that you kind of fight to keep quiet that you know instead of just being glad and being proud of something that you've done there's always something you could have done better and you've got to try and i suppose work to balance that out haven't sure. you I, i'm i'm i don't know about you i'm i think a lot of comedians are like this i can still remember a moment at a gig where i should and could have reacted in a certain way whereas the the beautiful nights the amazing nights the sort of forgotten about the next yeah morning. you don't go to bed those Such nights going shame. oh I did that brilliantly no. and I was I did this amazingly and and you know maybe that's a good thing as well because no, you know I don't think you'd actually progress if you spent all your time kind of sitting there telling yourself that you'd done brilliantly on something you wouldn't move on you know and it is only telly do you know what I mean you don't want to kind of I mean if I'd sewn you know kind of you know a brain into a young boy's head during the day as my job sure. <laughs> then I might true. then I might go home with you and think that was good but I think it's funny I've met a lot of people who perform at high levels in their work and mm. and I don't know many who you know spend a lot of time telling themselves that that was great and in some ways with sports people it's a, a point in their post years their post retirement years where they they go oh god I didn't really appreciate how good that was I didn't reflect on that at the time that's very I common isn't it I think yeah it is and I guess that's because if they did they just wouldn't move on to the next goal you know they wouldn't move on to the next thing and and what makes brilliance over a period of time for anybody a body of work is is the having that kind of you know the years isn't it not just doing Absolutely. something once well it's having years of it and so um so it's it's a it's a real challenge i think for people to be able to take stock and go that was good and then and equally you have to treat the times when things haven't gone right you know with a certain amount of distance and not be too kind of oh my god it's the end it's the end of everything you know so um yeah i I guess you know i hate to say the word again because it feels like i'm doing it deliberately it's a balance it's about getting the enjoyment but also and for your kids you know you've got kids i've got kids you don't want to show your kids that you know that something's so terrible you can never get over it and equally that something's so brilliant that you don't have to try again you never have to try again because you've cracked it kids you've cracked it so um you know my sometimes my son will go oh you're such a harsh parent but i you know <laughs> because you know I've got this to look forward to. yeah yeah no i love i love having teenagers it is so much fun but um yeah they are good reminders sometimes that you shouldn't put your standards always you know onto them and that they are allowed to enjoy their life you know what I mean sure. kind of, but um, yeah that's the that's the challenge when your teenagers come along James I think yeah the the four year old gives my wife back chat oh really oh, which, I mean I, I pretend that I don't enjoy it but I can't believe my luck um, <laughs> may I ask is there has there been a moment and I ask this in a light hearted way I don't, like, I don't want you to relive oh god has there been a clangor that, that when you think of it will make you smile oh yeah there's one absolute um I mean, it's it's tragic on the one hand when I tell you the story and you're going to go. Um, so during the 2012 Olympics, um, I did a show called um, Games Today or Games Tonight. It was about the Olympic Games yeah. that day. And it was an amazing, <laughs> amazing experience. 2012 was amazing for anybody involved in any capacity. And I was doing the show at night that that came on BBC One around 10.20, went on till midnight. Everybody was watching it because, you know, if you're watching the live sport during the day, people wanted to see. So we had, for that time of day, we had a ridiculous audience. We had the most incredible guest list. Every night we had legends of Olympic sport as well as current, you know, athletes from the game. So we'd have people like... Um, Carl Lewis, Olga Korber. Oh I mean, it was insane. And I had the best producer who I still work with on athletics and spotty and things like that, who was doing the show with me. We'd done a show together in Beijing four years earlier. We worked together brilliantly. He's a kind of like a, a, a mad genius, you know, and we were working, he, he was working 20 hour days, you know, to get this thing together. Because sure. you'd have to watch everything during the day, you know, disseminate and kind of like, you know, distill down stories. And he's a very stylish producer as well. So she was adding that to it as well. So it was just, I mean, I'm really, you know, extending the story, but it was just an absolute joy. Probably one of the best things I've ever worked on. So we'd done 18 days and it gets to last night 
the Saturday night, which was going to be the last show because the Sunday night was a closing ceremony. And um, I had David Beckham, because uh, he remember he was knocking around in a GB tracksuit right. for two weeks. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was practically <laughs> he was practically climbing on podiums. And um, and I think it's over the four hundred meters. Yeah, we're like David. You may as well come on because you've been wearing a GB tracksuit. Well, I mean, <laughs> so David was on. I and, <laughs> yeah, and Tom Daly had just remember when he run it when his bronze. Sure. And he had to redive, and yeah. so he'd just done that over at the Aquatic Center. He came on. Catherine Granger had finally won a mm. gold, having won all her silvers. Yeah. And ben Ainsley just won his fifth gold. And we had Michael Johnson on for good measure. Oh my god! So what a what a guest list, right? So we had this amazing sofa. Eye watering. Just had a brilliant show, and at the very end of the show, um, we we go out and there's a balcony, and we had these giant medals, and we used to throw the faces of people on who'd won medals that day for Great Britain. So it was going to be the very last time that I was out there saying good night, and. Um, the producer said in my ear, uh, can you go back in the studio? And being a slightly, you know, egocentric presenter, I thought they got me a cake or something. Sure. It was, yeah, you know, I thought, and then as I walk back in the studio, I see that we're still on air. I can see the lights were still on. I see that on the screens and the monitors, I can see the Olympic flame. And um, we're not off, basically. And I was told we're, we're still on air. And he said, um, you're going to have to make a correction to something that was said in the show. Now, earlier in the show, we'd had some boxing on. And while the boxing was on, knowing that we weren't going to chat about the boxing because we didn't have a boxing guest on the sofa, yep. we had so much sport to get through, I just whispered to David Beckham about one of the fighters. I said, it's incredible, this guy, he's won gold. And um, he has um, uh, lost his mum and his sister in the last year in a car accident. And David looked you know, visibly moved by it. But I was planning on coming back and just saying... Right, let's get on to the gymnastics. But David kind of sat up and said, what an incredible achievement. You know, this this guy's had an amazing year. He's lost his mum and his sister in a car accident. So I went, oh, my God, why did he do that? Kind of brought down the tone slightly, you know. <laughs> so everybody kind of looked a bit sad, carried on. And when I come back in, I sit down on the sofa and my producer said, earlier on he said, you said that Luke Campbell's mum and sister died in a car accident. He said they didn't. So, which is good news, obviously. But I've... Basically, I didn't say it. David Beckham said it, remember? But I had to then correct the mistake. So in my ear, I then hear the head of sport is in the gallery. The head of BBC um, One is in the gallery. I mean, literally all the bigwigs are in the gallery, all shouting different bits of advice, saying it was Anthony Joshua, it was Anthony Agogo, trying to kind of work out which boxer it was who had had a tragedy. It wasn't Luke Campbell, though. That was a fact, right? So I just thought I'm going to ignore them. And I just said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm terribly sorry. Some erroneous information made it to air tonight. Luke Campbell's mum and sister are alive and well. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I was mortified because I knew the body of work that I'd just done had probably been the best thing I'd ever done. Absolutely. So I go into the, and I now I've become melodramatic. I go into the makeup room, I sat on the floor, picked my bags up, and I was just like, I rang Kenny, my husband, and he was in stitches laughing. He thought it was hilarious. I was like, right, bye, see you later because I'm yeah. not getting anything from me. I look on social media, and Amir Khan has already tweeted, Gabby Logan's just killed off the Campbell family. And um, I'm thinking, oh my God, the Daily Mail are going to crucify me. This is going to wipe out anything. <laughs> good I have done so all these years but David Beckham was literally in the corridor going who died then who died I mean so he's obviously so I don't we haven't worked together since I mean it's like five years now I'm along it's no more than that isn't it and then um, and so so he's obviously doesn't, David. he doesn't trust me anymore so I can't tell him anything and of course you know the next day um I I ring Luke Campbell's mum apologize to her and it was a really freakish mistake that only could happen in a situation where you've been working for 18 days the box, the pool box that it did refer to was um, boxing around the same time. We had monitors all over the place. And while I was in the office during the day, one of our best stat men was sat looking at one monitor. I was writing, looking at another monitor. I'm watching Luke Campbell's fight. He's watching a box called Fred Evans. And he said, he's had a terrible year, tells me this. He doesn't know I'm watching Luke Campbell. So this poor stat guy, who is one of the best, Birchie, oh. he is just mortified because he knows. He's sitting in the back of the studio because the stat guy stays there. He's, he's seeing this happen like a car crash going, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's about to give some wrong information oh. to oh. So the whole thing was kind of, I mean, it's not the worst thing ever, ever, ever. What was terrible was to finish the Olympic Games like that. And then, like, as if by kind of magic, they got a rotor situation wrong. And they said, oh, Sue's got the closing ceremony, Sue Barker. Will you do her slot tomorrow afternoon that's three till six? And I was like, you bet I will. Because yeah, I just didn't want to finish For sure. the whole thing kind of in that, you know, I wanted to go away feeling a bit more positive. I had to do modern pentathlon or something. I knew nothing about it. I didn't care. I gem up on it. It was fine. I just wanted to be kind of, you know. So end out on a, you'll end on a night, Or just end feeling like I was, I mean, I genuinely did not sleep that night. I was like, I was, I blew it out of all proportion. Because, of course, I've had 18 days of 
Um, I never, I never drink I'd alcohol the, during same, any of those yeah. things. But I was like, you know, I always, I'm always kind of go to bed, um, kind of try with, a, try to go to bed with a clean head. But I never get enough sleep. You know, you get three or four hours sleep a night. You wake up in the morning, you're straight on with it. I was tired. I was over emotional about it. You know, kind of overthinking it. I think, and um, and of course, it becomes one of the great after dinner anecdotes. You know, that, <laughs> that I've ever had. But um, but that kind of thing you can't legislate <laughs> for. Do you know what I mean? Mostly, sure. it's it's just horrible when you get something wrong, like a stat or a fact, because you feel like oh god, but. Stacks and facts. That and feeling stats. of the one that got away, isn't it? Yeah, sort of you just kind of go, ah. Oh. But also a question that you might have afterwards. You think, I should have asked that. I should have asked that. You know, and from for the most part, most viewers will be happy. But there's, you know, the beauty of social media is that you'll get to know from the one that isn't happy, and they'll say, oh, you should have said da 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 da. And usually, I just say. Oh, thank you so much for pointing that out. You reply. <laughs> if it's somebody kind of, you know, that um, isn't being rude, do you know what I mean? They're not being rude about it. They're not calling me, you know, a, a horrible well, name. They're just saying, look, you know, that that wasn't, I think, well, you know, if you, if you reply with courtesy, at least they know that you're not so arrogant to think that, you know, sure. that you did the right thing. But um, yeah, the whole, that whole uh, 2012 thing, um, like we were saying about how sometimes your mistakes cloud better better days if you like I just have to think no actually that whole thing was just so magnificent oh, I, your, I, mean, I your can't career let is... I can't let that oh god no <laughs> colour the whole kind of event for me how many years have you been a sports presenter and broadcaster so I started um, I'm 46 and I started out um, when I was a university I was did law degree at Durham and I started working in local radio in, Dur- in Newcastle and um, I started doing um, learning to read the news basically so on the Saturday and Sunday when I was a student I'd go and do news shifts and learn how to compile bulletins and and then wow Gabby right, that's inc- I mean that's so that was my kind of Saturday job when I was doing a law degree and then Talk then about foresight well the second year of being at university they said to me right we would like to train you up to be a DJ and to host shows and by the third year I had my own love show late night love show on a Saturday night while you were a student yeah are you serious <laughs> and they'd even swing in the holidays for the breakfast show or for the you know then it's a station called Metro Metro yeah, FM it's be. huge isn't it yeah and th- when I graduated I graduated in the June and in the April they pulled me in and they said look we want to replace the co-host on breakfast and we'd like you to start on July the 1st say I'd graduated on June the 28th and I started work on July the 1st so I had three days off before I started the job, basically. Gabby, that's so, um, unbelievable. Yeah. So it was like doing work experience the whole time that I was doing. So I, so I kind of accelerated, if you like, my career, you know what I mean? Because I didn't Absolutely. have to go through those. So, And I was still doing loads of stuff at university. I did like lot of sport and I did plays and went to Edinburgh and things like that. I had a really rich, full kind of experience at university. But I did. I'm so glad I had a job because actually I've never been one of those people that just kind of goes out all the time. And I think... I went out once, twice a week. That was enough for me. I didn't need to go out seven nights a week. And having the discipline of having to get up at three in the morning on a Saturday and Sunday, it meant I wasn't going out really at the weekends, which for a student is actually not the biggest time anyway to go out, you know. Although it was funny leaving for work at three, four in the morning and seeing my oh, friends coming in, absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Um, but they all were really supportive as well. You know, they'd go, oh, we listened to you last night when we got in or we listened to you this morning. I and bet you know. I bet they're really proud. Yeah, they were. And it was really sweet. And in fact, I did an award ceremony recently. I was hosting an event and the guy who won one of the awards, it was a legal profession, he said, oh, my sister lived on the same corridor as you. Don't he said, and she always talks about when she sees you about how you used to creep out early in the morning to work and things. So, you're um, absolute hero. So, so I was, but also I wasn't. Um, I mean, we were lucky those days because we did get our tuition paid, but I didn't have much money, to, so it gave me an income to buy my, you know, oh my god, of books course. and things. So I had, so I left university with very little debt at the time, you know, re- relative to kind of what what it would be now, certainly. So I was doing the breakfast show on the radio and loving sport as I did. After the show every day, breakfast show, you finish at 10 o'clock, 9.30, and I'd be down at the end of the newsroom where the sports team were, because obviously Newcastle's dominated by its football team. Sure. So when I say the sports team, the football team, and yeah. I'd go down <laughs> and I'd be chatting to the, the journalists or chatting to the commentator, we'd talk about football. Anyway, I got pulled into the office of the boss and he said, look, he said, we know every, you know, you, you spend more of your time with the sports team than you do with anybody else. I said, how about you fancy a Saturday job? Like, what's, he said, so we do post-match interviews for us at St. James's Park. How good is this boss to have spotted that? Yeah, I know, it's really... Uh, he, most people are focused on them. You yeah, know, well, he, he the also, I think he knew as well that um, I'd come from a sporting background and because my dad, he knew that I genuinely loved sport and he said, why don't you do interviews for us? And um, I was like, what, is that a job? <laughs> you can actually go to the football and, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And so I yeah, I'm brilliant, I'll do that. So all home games, no away games, but all home games, so sometimes a midweek game, whatever, I'd be down there and at the end of that season, which was the big season, the Kevin Keegan rant season, the coming second in the league season, being ahead 12 points at Christmas season, at the final game, 
It's that season. Yeah, it was that season. Uh, the final... I'm nearly applauding your life here. <laughs> it was amazing. You can imagine that. What a year. Yeah. And we get to the, the last game of the season and a cameraman on the side of the pitch, I was waiting to do the interviews, hands me a business card and he said, this is Richard Keyes and, um, from Sky. And he said he's seen you down here. He'd like you to call him because he's making a documentary about women in sport, which I thought was a bit weird because... Um, like, like, you know, how does he... Anyway, Richard was a massive Coventry City fan and yeah. he'd known my dad back in the day as a Coventry player. And he didn't... He wasn't making documentary in sport. He just wanted me to put me in touch with the head of Sky Sports to come down and do a screen test. So it was literally just a connection. So, I mean, for all Richard's had, let's not be beat about the bush, um, you know, sure. <laughs> faults when it comes to equality. Um, that was a very um, pivotal moment for me, you know, um, and I, um, I didn't have a lot to do with Richard really, you know, he, aside from that. He just had me over, if you like, to the bosses at Sky Sports who flew me down, which was, it was all very kind of, I was 20, just coming up to my 24, I think it would have been, hang on, would I, would I went to university at 19, so yeah, I was coming up to 24 this years old. This is better than most thrillers I've read, by and, uh, the way, and this is, this is And I was like, flown down to London, you know, picked up from the, which is normal in telly, obviously, but for me as a local radio presenter, I was like, oh my God, I'm like kind of <laughs> taken into makeup, put in front of a camera and just asked to read the kind of show that was going out that night and apparently did it well enough that they, within 24 hours of maybe a an offer and told me when they wanted me to start and you know it was like kind of bang 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 it was a real kind of a look back now it's absolutely like, whirlwind, wow, isn't it? yeah and so um so of course I didn't hesitate because I wanted to get into telly I was already doing a bit of local telly and but um, but this was a bit off what I thought I was going to do do you know what I mean I was thinking well I'm not really going to be a sports because women don't do like that you know I don't, don't know anybody that does that I'll I want to work on Newsnight or I don't know live and kicking yeah, <laughs> didn't know where I wanted yeah. to go but I because of my experience as a gymnast when I've been yeah. in TV studios I thought that's a fun area to work in so it was as I say a very good period to work there because there was so much live sport so much going on I wasn't doing a lot of live I wasn't doing live football I was doing everything else really I did a bit of tennis I did a bit of ice hockey I did I mean god can you imagine how many people watching ice hockey it'd be cheaper to take around a VHS of the match them but for, for me sure. the mechanics of doing live sport it's all part of that 2000 yeah, hours exactly so um, yeah so um, very very um, fortuitous <laughs> I guess right place right time standing on the side of the pitch I mean because so, so few people know what they want to do or, or have the passion for, for what they want to do at such a tender age so the fact that I'm not saying that you fell into it but in a way you, you sort of did I mean that's I, I don't think I've ever heard anything like it yeah it was it was very because I had this in the back of my mind I thought if it doesn't work out that year I'm not I'm gonna I'm not gonna sit in local radio forever I just didn't want to you know I didn't want to do that so you're doing that for one yeah I signed a two-year contract and they um what so I had be? to go to my boss at the end of the um year although I think I'd signed one year with a kind of view to signing the second year and he was ready to sign the second year and I remember sitting down with him in his office and this was the guy that gave me all these breaks, you know, and I said, Giles, his name was Giles Squire and he was a real um, hero of local radio, like very well regarded nationally and, you know, in all the big groups, you know. Giles that, um, Squire. Yeah. Right. And he said to me, um, I said, Giles, I've been offered this opportunity. And he said, well, you're, you're you know, you've, you've got another year to go on this. And I said, I said, yeah, but I said, this is you know, something that I really want to do. And, and he was really squirming because he really knew that this was huge for me. But at the same time, he wanted to keep me. And he wasn't going to kind of be able to entice me with, you know, sure. it wasn't about money. Mm. It wasn't about, it was about opportunity. It's a break, isn't it? And so I said to him, he had a daughter, a young daughter, a lot younger than me. And I said, imagine if your daughter was well sad. And, <laughs> well and I said, what would you, what would you say to her? And he just he went Game of Thrones. He literally went, "Get out!" I'll speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we've never had any hard feelings or you know any. Um, it was oh, the you know, daughter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit. Hang on. That my back yeah. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was very lucky because he didn't hold me to any kind yeah, of contract sure. and you know he didn't make me feel I went out with a bang. You know, they gave me a lovely send off and they were so proud of me as well. You know, they were really supportive. I know you. I know you will get asked this a lot. How did you end up supporting Newcastle and not and not Leeds? Well, that was really that period because when my dad left Leeds, I was four. And then he went to Coventry and then he went to Vancouver. And then he came back and went to Bradford and then he was managing Wales. And then he was managing Swansea and then he was managing Wales. And, you know, even dipped into Cardiff for a very, you know, for yeah. a few weeks. And so as a kid, you kind of go with wherever he is and support whoever he's with. At four, I was not going to have a lifelong allegiance to Leeds United. So when I went to university... At the very beginning of even being in Durham, he was managing Wales. There was no um, club for me to be looking out for on a Saturday. Course, you know, it's yeah. always nice to have that feeling of, oh, you know, even though I might not have been going every week, to feel, you know, an affinity with the team. So 
I started noticing and kind of following Newcastle and then my boyfriend was a Geordie from he was actually at Durham but he was a Geordie he supported Newcastle so I was kind of sucked in to the and it's really hard to live in that part of the world and not, not be, sucked be sucked in especially when Kevin Keegan was at the helm and signing the likes of David Ginola and Les Ferdinand and you know it was a period of absolute kind it's of so exciting yeah, it's it? a real one city sorry one club city you know it, it is all elite like Leeds yeah. you know it's all about the team you see people in shirts all the time and everybody wants to talk about the tune and that doesn't mean just young blokes that's everybody Absolutely. you know you, you can't really explain to people when they've not lived there you know you go in to get your, your newspaper and the 65 year old woman at the behind that you know how we the boys were, were rubbish at the weekend you know and that's what everybody wants to open up a conversation with so yeah it wasn't difficult to get sucked in and my son who's now 14 he had one season as a Newcastle fan <laughs> when he was about five we were looking through my phone the other day and he found the picture with his kit and he's settled on Arsenal now he went I did try for you mum I said oh. I said no but it's hard I think when you don't live in a place isn't it to, it to is. get a full feeling for the passion for you know kind of the club I'm, I'm similar so one of my first sports journalism jobs was covering Crystal Palace for a local newspaper so I was home and away with Palace from 02 to 05 I barely miss a kick yeah and from what I gather from chatting with other uh, la- uh, other journos when you go home and away you go one of two ways. You either you either fall in love of you know it's Stockholm syndrome, really. Yeah, I suppose. yeah. You either yeah. fall in love with the club that you follow, or you grow to loathe them because yeah. they sort of take over your life. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm raising. So we live in Beckenham now, very close to the. So you're very close there. Yeah. So I'm raising my girls to be. Uh, it's also nice Americans. to be close to you know I, the, the one you know big regret I've got about having them as my club is that I'm no nowhere near, and so mm. I'm up next week actually to do something for the foundation. They um, have got a brilliant foundation as most Premier League clubs have, and uh, so we have their dinner on the Tuesday night, which I'll host, and during the day I'm going to go to one of their projects and things. So um, it's nice to have that link because I'm a patron of the foundation. So, Gabby, honestly, what a, I don't want to swear, but what a gosh darn hero that you are that's oh, amazing, that's amazing. So, so Gabby and I work on a show together so I'm the warm up guy on a show called Back of the Net which is on Amazon it's on every Tuesday and the from my vantage point the three I was saying to I think my mum maybe today but the three of you have always got each other's backs and so I've said I've said this to Gabby after the show you're so funny and you're so quick and you, the way you come in with the callback uh to reference something that's that's happened earlier, which is not the height of uh, on the circuit, someone's got a callback. It's like, oh, nicely played, sir. Um, you must enjoy that show because it, it feels like such a, a beautiful, happy atmosphere. I love, I love it. I love, yeah. I love Mondays. We record it on I a love, Monday, honestly, I and love I, I just it's such a great way to start the week. I, you know, I don't have any sense of Sunday night kind of blues at all. I really love going into the studios and seeing the guys. You know, Peter obviously Peter Crouch is so busy with so many other TV projects, but I get a sense that he really enjoys the difference of this. You know, doing live punditry is so different to yeah. what we do on Amazon. And John, you know, obviously does he's touring at the moment. He does loads of different things. But again, for him, being in a little team, it must feel quite nice because, you know, he's so much on his own when he's on the road. As you know, you know, he's he's staying in strange hotels and, you know, kind of waking up on his own, going into to gig somewhere. So which he loves. But obviously we um, we have a nice dynamic together. We all offer something different. We all complement each other as well. Don't yeah. We? So um, so I'm, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, really enjoying it. I, I love that. I love that show so much. I, I can assure you that maybe I better take this bit out. I don't say that about every show that I <laughs> you, you, as you Well, imagine, I know I've worked yeah. on loads of different, um, not necessarily as the main kind of host or anything, but if I've been a guest on things, you know, there's definitely a special atmosphere there. And, um, you know, not every week is going to kind of hit the highs, but, you know, very rarely come away thinking, oh, well, you know, there's nothing we can do with that. Do you know what I mean? You sure. kind of, you know, and it's it's tight and it feels like we're, you know, we've had some good guests. And I think guests all those, are, yeah. Well, Luke tells me the guests. Yeah. And I almost feel like his dream audience because my reaction's always, how did you get, the, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, like Rude Hullick, for example. I mean, yeah, an amazing guest. And, um, and, you know, and now we've had current manager and current players as well. So we're kind of pushing for more of that. So, you know, who knows where, how, you know, how many we could do a year. But it'd be nice to come back for a bit of a time next season as well. Oh, God. Wouldn't it just? Yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing we were going to talk about was was uh, was stress. Mm-hmm. Is this, I know you talked about working those 18 days through the Olympics. Is that something that you've personally struggled with? I will hold my hands up as a freelancer who says yes to literally anything and everything. It's like I'm doing a full advertorial here, but it is genuinely something that I, mm. I have suffered with. So so what... what? I think because I've... Um, there's definitely been periods in my life where, you know, it's got more stressful and and being being busy with work isn't necessarily 
always the reason, you know, because otherwise sometimes it can be family things. We've had a lot of issues in the family with various people with mental illness and people with other other issues. And, and so when you've got, in my wider family that is, you know, you've got kind of, I'm the eldest and you've got kind of responsibilities that, you know, you take on board in your life. And having busy kids and all of that, you know, just can be busyness, you know, that gets you kind yeah. of, but I think having um, sport and activity and movement and whatever you want to call it, something has, I think I, I found out at a very young age, probably like 18, 19, in fact, probably after my brother died, like 19, 20, that I needed to do something every day. You know, I needed to go for a run, go for a, do some exercise. Do, and I just feel better for it. I feel cleansed almost. I feel like my head's clear, you know? And so I think that is a really important way for me to deal with stress because it's so easy for somebody to say to you oh you have to build me time into your life and it's much harder to to go and yeah whereas I, I think actually if my exercise is me time um then I can kind of justify that. Do you know what I mean? It's, I, I can go right. Because it could be as little as 30 minutes run. You know, that's not... Too, and I think most of us can build that into our day at some point. So I try and um, do something at least five times a week, you know, and then it might be a big walk. And, you know, I've got dogs, so I'm lucky where we live. I can go off and I can walk the dogs on a Sunday morning for 40 minutes and not see another person, you know, and um, which is not always, you know, sometimes it's nice to see another person, but sometimes it's quite nice just to have that kind of space and headspace and you know so, and also being close to nature i think is something that is very um for me it's quite stress relieving you know to to feel kind of because animals and nature it just kind of carries on doesn't care if you've had a busy day That's right. you know your animals still need feeding um plants still need tending to do you know what i mean things things the world keeps turning and it's kind of a good reminder i think that you are just a tiny little cog in this this big wheel and actually you're not you know it's not nothing's going to kind of collapse if you just take yourself out of the situation for a few minutes. What, what was the thing that you turned to? Was there a specific exercise when you were... Um, I think when I first started, because I'd finished doing gymnastics and at the time I had a boyfriend who was an athlete and he was a very like British kind of um, Olympic standard distance runner. So um, oh so he was going to, you know, Olympic Games and things like that. And so obviously I was, you know, I wasn't going to go for a run with him, but I was in that world of running. So I thought, I'll start running that seems like the cheapest, easiest thing to do. You know, I, I was I was living in my gap year. I couldn't afford to be a gym member or anything like that, you know. So I just started going to to the park and running and then and and then and then I needed a bit more. Do you know what I mean? I need to do something else. And so running's always I always want to be able to go for a decent run. Do you know what I mean? I always try and make sure that I kind of do running enough that I can. But I like doing resistance training and yoga and um and the kids, you know, doing sport with the kids. So as long as it's something that I like to kind of uh, feel a pretty exhausted do you know what I mean I like that feeling of pushing myself sure so so if, if something if someone in the workplace is suffering with stress uh what are the sort of steps that they should be taking then well um funny you should ask that because I've been uh working with um <laughs> working with a, a company called Cigna who've done a massive one of the biggest of its kind global uh research project and they really do cover the world and you know, unsurprisingly, what they've found is that so many physical ailments relate back to stress. And one of the ones that I think, because I'm really big on gut health, is 52% of IBS. You mean to gut health? Yes, oh, yeah, s- yeah. Singing to the choir, Well, friend. it's the second brain, you know, yeah. and so your your gut tells you so much about your body and people who suffer from things like IBS and bloating, so much of that is related to stress. 52% of, of their study, people were actually stress-related, but they were treating the wrong things, you know. So if, you, if you're going to a doctor and saying it's this and the doctor isn't progressive enough maybe and that's not a criticism but maybe to say hang on a minute how's your lifestyle what's going on and treats that then you're not treating what is actually maybe anxiety or stress so um and so the study is about talking to people obviously talking to medical professionals not and not being being confident enough to say to your boss i had a day off yesterday it wasn't you know what i said toothache it was actually anxiety and stress all right okay how can we make sure in the workplace we get the best out of you but at the same time, we're helping you to deal with that. What is it that's causing that? You know, and it might be things like, which I think this study is really important. It might be saying something like, "Hang on a minute, why are we making this woman work till five every day? She needs to go pick her kids up, and actually, she'll get. She's got an hour of email she could do in the evening at nine o'clock. She'd rather do that and be able to pick her kids up, and she's that'll make her happier. feel. She'll feel happier. She'll feel. I mean, she, you know, I always laugh with my husband and say, when I'm working at weekends, I feel bad I'm working, and then when I have a weekend off, I realise I'm just a taxi driver. So that woman might work out that actually picking her kids up is less more stressful. Yeah. But the point is, if you can can make somebody's week work a bit better for them, you'll get more out of them, and then those stress po- 
points might end up creating a more productive person and a more energised person in your workplace. So it, I think it's a really important study because there's sports people talking about mental health. You know, people are more confident to talk about stresses in their lives. But actually, we've got institutions and big companies that while they may on the surface say, yeah, yeah, we're really, we're really into it. Okay, how are you practically making that work for people? How are you making people's lives better and more able to deal with this? And then obviously the conversation has to be much more open and people not feeling that if I go to my line manager and say this, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to not going to get promotion. It's probably going to push me to one side. You know, it's, it's feeling confident that that's actually the opposite of what's going to happen. Yeah. They're going to think I'm not up to it if I yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, it's, it's brutal that even in 2019 that people w- feel like have that. such concerns. But I think there's still, um, I mean, we're, you know, we're very lucky. We're, we're sitting here doing this in Soho, you know, so we're kind of at the epicentre of, I was sat here kind of looking out the window before and it's like everybody here went to art college. You know what I mean? People are kind of yeah. young and they're very um, on the edge of thinking and the millennials and, you know, but, we're in a bubble here and, you know, you move outside, you, you know, you're from the north and you know, because you probably travel a lot more outside of this, the kind of M25 than a lot of your peers. And I travel the length and breadth of the country with my job. And, you know, it's it's a thought process that maybe permeates here. It takes a bit of time maybe to go into kind of the heartlands of the country where, you know, you, you don't say that, you don't talk about, you know, your problems, <laughs> you don't share, yeah. you know, and actually those are really damaging. And I'm not saying it's all up north. I'm, I mean, just, you know, there are parts of the country and parts of society and parts of the workplace where it's still seen as a weakness. You know what I mean? People still say it kind of, they wouldn't say, oh yeah, he was off work. Um, yeah, you know why, don't you? Because he hurt his elbow. Oh yeah, yeah. hurt his elbow. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. oh, he was off work because of stress. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's that kind of, if somebody had a broken leg, you would go, okay, fix your leg, you know? So if somebody's got a broken heart, you know what I mean? Because they are, and that, that leads to stress, that that needs to be dealt with. And you have to kind of treat it, I think, in absolutely holistic. There's no point being super fit and physically well if you're from the neck upwards you're not great. There's just it's just defeats. Sport is literally those. Yeah, and I think well, luckily more and more sports people are talking about it, and I think that's it's important. I think that sports people do talk about it, not because of it's good for them, but it is good for them. Is also because we see sports people as these kind of um, Goliaths and these right. these incredible superheroes, and they're you know they're just the personification of of, of health and well being. And actually, if they're carrying around anxiety. And it's good to know that they, you know, they're willing to talk about that and share that because, first of all, they can get sorted out themselves. But also because we realise that we're all fallible. We've all we've all got, you know, chinks and weaknesses and we all need to be, you know, kind of mindful of that. So I think sports people who talk out are very powerful kind of advocates, I think. Could not. I mean, I could not agree more. Um, So this is a loaded question because it's something that I do in my life. So in my in my whole life. Uh, I can still remember quotes from certain sports people, and that has influenced almost like a religion. Oh, really? so what would you say is your number so one? So one of my favourites is Michael, is the great Michael Johnson, mm. who if I met, I would just turn into a puddle. But he once said, and I don't, I don't want to crikey, I don't want to name anyone here. You probably know who he was talking about. He was referring to a certain Great Britain relay team mm. who had been, <laughs> let's say, a little bit vocal. And Michael, John- when Michael Johnson talks, you absolutely... Well, I certainly listen. Uh, if, he, if he said, if my wife's listening, if Michael Johnson said, stop leaving wet towels on the bed, <laughs> I would... <laughs> I would never do it again. Maybe I'll next time I'm with them. For your wife, I'm going to get her to record that and I'm going to just send it to you and uh, and then you just have to play it as your ringtone or something. Oh, my God. Hey, James, can you stop leaving, can you stop leaving oh, red towels? Um, so he, what he said was, and, this, and, I, and on the comedy circuit, I've given... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I've quoted Johnson, but I've given this as advice. You cannot concern yourself with other people. You can only focus on being the best you. And he said that, and it just... Now, they ended up winning the gold. That was the thing. Do you remember? Do you <laughs> yeah, remember? So they ended up winning yeah, the gold. Yeah, yeah. And so they're... And I know... John I'm, Regis, Roger Black, was you and Thomas, wasn't it? Oh, no, they, it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. The, the team was... It wasn't was, John, John, not, um, It wasn't Regis, not, no. Because no, 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 I, I, I love Regis. Not Regis. It was... Um, it was Darren. Darren Campbell. Yeah. And then, so then they, I didn't want to name them, but we're here now. So then they were, they were the next night they sat on the sofa with, I think it was with Claire Balding, but let's just say they're being pretty confident about, yeah, and maybe people shouldn't have said, but then, but so I was watching that and I was, I was getting quite upset because I was like, no, Johnson was still yeah. totally right. But I, I do think that is such great life advice mm. and I absolutely, so I've never, I've never, oh, Please, please God, please God, let this always be the case. I've never been jealous of other people. No, it's a waste, my mum would just say it's a wasted emotion. It's a anyway. wasted emotion, wasted energy, and you can aspire and think, oh, that's they've done well there, and that would be great to do, and that looks enjoyable. But it's just, and it takes time. I don't think you can do it like I say to my kids all the time, you know, about comparisons and how futile they are. And it's very hard at fourteen, I think, to assimilate that information. Yeah. And but if you can get to some stage in your adulthood where you you genuinely oh I can't I mean I think about that, that all, then, I mean yeah. absolutely so a lot of guys on the circuit um have they got that have, have they mm. I see that I see there on that show have they got that yeah, and I yeah. always say doesn't matter it's, yeah. that's got nothing to do with you yeah you've just got to focus you can only focus on, on you you know I feel like uh I can hear Michael Johnson talking to me like Obi-Wan Kenobi from uh <laughs> Star Wars. But have there been any moments like that where... Um, I think one of the... Um, and the, it's a very well-known um, quote, uh, Gary Player's... Um, yes. The hard, the practice, the hard I practice, the luckier I get. And um, I think that is, you know, especially in this day and age where people seem to think there's instant gratification can come through the proliferation of talent shows, for example, where people seem to just turn up on telly and they have a career recording contract or, you know, that kind of um, X factor mentality, if you like, that you can be plucked off the street and just, you know, no successful recording um, artist, whether you're Lewis Capaldi or the Beatles, you know, they didn't put in the hours and hours and hours that it takes. And I think that's where sport is quite cutthroat like that because I remember having this conversation with Simon Cowell of all people um, because I was doing an interview with him for um, something and he wanted to meet me before to just discuss the questions and we got into talking about talent and he was very keen to show me how hard he'd worked to get to where he was and he slept in his car and you know he didn't have a home at one point and all this and I said well that's what I love about sport and at the time the Rugby World Cup was on not quite Mm. and the Rugby World Cup was on um that it was in England that four years ago and I said well that's what I love about sport I said on Saturday somebody will line up in the semi-final of the World Cup to take a kick that will win them the match and take them into a final I said because it was that weekend I said but that kick will be the 10,000th kick that they've ever done you know this accumulation of a lifetime's work and and sport you can't take a shortcut to that moment it's the experience that will get you there and he said exactly and I remember thinking what are you talking about? You invented the X Factor. Dude. <laughs> and so exactly. I... Exactly. Exactly. Um, look into this mirror. Yeah, Cow. well, that's the thing. You look at the kind of, you know, there are very few people that have come through a show that have had kind of, you know, I mean, you know, obviously that you can you can quote me a few. but No, generally but speaking, you're absolutely... Because absolutely. you do need to do all the hard work. And that's what I, you and know... The ones I, that have had a career, so say Jennifer Hudson in the US... She was... But she was... She was Screamingly talented. She's been singing her whole life. life. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, she's a profoundly yeah. talented but also hardworking. Was always going to get there through, totally. some, through some way. Absolutely. And I think you know that the more and more you you practice something, whatever your art is, whether it is sport or comedy or acting or whatever it is, you are going to get 
more success and it will come. It doesn't mean that you're going to have not everybody can be the Oscar winner. And, and that's the other thing. I think you don't need to measure yourself against, you know, that as being your absolute. If you don't get there, then you fail because otherwise most people will fail. <laughs> and, Absolutely. That's, and not that failing is a bad thing. Failing is important in that practice process. You know, there's no point keeping practicing something if it's always going right. You know, like I, my daughter said this to me the other day about she's really good at um, preparing for exams. You know, she's she's really got into that kind of study. Really, She's a very conscientious studier. And I said, what have you been revising today? She's got exams next week. And she said, um, uh, geography and his, no, no, chemistry and biology. And she said, because they're the two that I didn't do as well last time. So I'm, I'm focusing heavily heavily on them now. Michael Johnson would approve of that. Well, I just thought, you know, she's, she's, she's worked it out herself because she avoided biology the last time because she didn't really know it. Oh my God. And she was disappointed with her score. So she's gone, right. Okay. And it's hilarious because she's got a twin brother who literally is doing apparently no work this holiday. And um, I'm always going to him, have you seen what she's doing? <laughs> but she's got a much more, um, she's, and I, you know, I think, do you know what, Lois, you really deserve to do well because you're, you're really working hard here. And I know you are. And I think, and I said to her, do you know what, if you don't do well, I know you've worked hard. So I don't, I don't care. You know what I mean? I want, I, I love that you're putting so much effort in and that you're trying. That for me is the most important <sighs> so thing. So true. So, you know, you're not always going to get the top mark. You're not always going to be the person that gets the award at the end of the you know, term. And it's not about peaking now anyway. You know, you've got a whole life ahead of you. You don't have to be top dog at 14 years old. But if you get into your head about how to how to get to the end that you want to get to, you you, you know, you're, you're cracking it. <laughs> so that, that is another Michael Johnson uh Nuggets. There was a, I won't say who, but there was a, a heptathlete who had a couple of weaker events. And Johnson did say, I've got to be careful. I want to be really careful here. Johnson suggested that uh, if you have a couple of weaker events, you've got to work extra hard on those. And it, it, would I be right in saying that that person now has done better on those events? Or, or no? no. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. See if it was after the uh, after the show, because obviously <laughs> some like some like Jess Ennis, uh, former podcast guest. She did. She did know that you had to yeah, yeah. work super hard, and on it's that. a balancing act for them because you look at like Katarina Johnson Thompson who's just won gold at the World Championships. Her throws were her weaker event. Yep. She got PB yep. out in uh, Doha on her javelin. That's PB sports shot. great because if you're, you know, it teaches you about it. Does there's that? Is it the Ed Smith book? What what sport t- uh, teaches you about? You, like, yeah, so yeah, I think that's a great. I, yeah. love that, I love that book so much, and that's why I think I think it's it's so inspirational to you know everybody sitting so down ins- honestly, watching athletics is not going to come away and go right. I'm going to go out and throw the you know the broom down the garden. See, <laughs> but it is like okay. Oh, I see what she's done there. You know, and I love her story, Kat, because she's had some shockers at major championships, mm. but clearly incredibly naturally talented athlete who's worked really hard. And now it's it's come good and that's life. You're not always going to get... That's life. It's not always going to be Dean or Asher Smith. You're not always going to have a natural progression where you go fourth in the Olympics, you know, uh, or fifth in the Olympics, yeah. fourth in the World Championships, gold in the Europeans, and now gold at the World. You know, her progression could not have gone smoother. That's not to say she's not worked incredibly hard, but that's not always the way you get to the top, is it? Sometimes it's a little bit of... You've got to take a step backwards to take two steps forwards. And, you know, I think Kat's story is a bit more like that, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And there's the Mourinho quote as well about uh, it took me 10 years to become an, over, an overnight success. Yeah, yeah. Which I saw one of the newspapers throw in his face as like a, a stupid football quote. No, it's no. great life. It's yeah, great yeah, life advice. Yeah. But before we go, may, may I ask, do you have... So my favourite sporting moment ever, and I think I've said it before on a previous episode, was the uh, the reason why I said no to Regis is because he's responsible for for my favourite ever moment. It's the four by four in nineteen ninety one with uh, Regis Black, Redmond, and then I thought you were referring back to that when you were about no, the that's four, my favourite. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was my and then yeah. Aka, you know Coleman's yeah, 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 commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Akabushi, how's yeah, it yeah, going? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have a moment that? Oh God, oh. you know one that where you just floods if you even. Um, so it's always like the la- I always think back to the last event that I've been. I mean, I, back in 2003, and I'm not I'm a Welsh rugby fan, but I was on the pitch for the Rugby World Cup final because I was working for ITV. Sure. So I was in Australia working for ITV, and and I remember it was a moment where that team I knew so many of them because I was married to Kenny at this point. I still am. And I, I was, <laughs> just, when's, a when's, when's, pod- to- when's the podcast going out? Um, Kenny, sit down. I, I was, I'd been married a couple of years to him. He'd been playing for Scotland in that World Cup, but they'd obviously got knocked out. He was sat in the stand with uh, a few of his kind of rugby friends, but a lot of his teammates from Worcester on the pitch, players that I'd known for a few course, years now. Of course, yeah. So I'm kind of shoving a microphone under Lawrence Delalio's face, who I've known from Wasps. And, and it was one of those moments where I, I get to be 
be right in the heart of something that was so special. And, and that team peaked absolutely at the right time, oh. you know. And it, that did feel, and it was on the turf with Australia kind of, you know, the home team thinking they were going to win it. And, you know, the last minute drop goal, Johnny's drop goal, those kind of last minute moments where you go, <gasps> and, you know, and, and that sport provides that kind of drama. I remember being in Paris when Ireland had that Johnny Sexton last minute drop goal, which was something like 27 phases to get. I love those kinds of twists in the story that, you know, come, come away and, and knowing people and seeing kind of how hard they've worked to get to those situations, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the performances that being in the England camp when they did so well in the World Cup in Russia was really special as yeah. well. And um, I'd worked with Gareth Southgate on local telly when I first started out. He was my pundit when Central a, Television. I've known him a long, long time. He's a lovely human being. He's isn't a he? great, a great human being. And and that I think when you kind of know the person involved, it kind oh, of oh, that's you know, I mean that's added emotion, so, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you know, just I think athletics has definitely provided some of those great nights you know those the the Mo Farah kind of victories in London during the um, 2017 World Championships were really special because he'd had a tough few years and um, yeah it's just I'm just uh, I'm very lucky I think to have been at so many different things that are Liverpool turning around the Champions League in 2005 I was heavily pregnant with twins hosting it for ITV and um, seriously yeah I was six months pregnant and at half time when Liverpool were 3-0 down I had Terry Venables and Steve McManaman in the studio and I said because they looked both looked really dejected because I think we thought we were going in for a kind of 6-0 kind of dropping and yeah. I said in a very moment a moment of naivety I said which I thought I might live to regret I said look they've scored three Liverpool can score three in the second half and um and Steve McManaman went yeah no you know kind of and of course that's what happened. But and, some people I would have would have gone don't be so stupid. Well, I, I, I could hear them. I mean I could literally almost hear them. What are you talking? Yeah, silly old cow. What's she saying? <laughs> What's she talking about? As if they can come back from this. And there they were. You know when when they went three two to three two. I'm thinking, come on for me, yeah, score that. Yeah, score. yeah. <laughs> Make me look like yeah, I know something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, in your face. but that's the beauty of sport that you know. Yes, they did. But yes, you can. And I think that kind of you know when a team does that and a comeback like that it's always very special now um, before we go we both said that we love athletics um, are you hopeful for the future because so I, I, Akabusi was on the podcast and we talked we, we, this is how we closed and we I'm not sure he was as that, hopeful I'm not sure he was as hopeful because we both like we're taking it in turns to reel off the the stars of that era yeah, when God. it was a golden era. Like, I mean, it's nearly like we hit double figures like that mm. in terms of household names, like mm. you know, your mum, your grand, literally yeah, anyone, yeah, everyone yeah. knew who they yeah, were. Yeah. What what can we do to get back to? Well, I think what I always say about athletics, like my my daughter goes to athletics and she does a bit of high jump and hurdles and stuff. It's not her main sport, but the reason I'm keen to keep her going is because it's such a brilliant sport for so many other things in life. You know, you might not end up. She she she's definitely not going to end up an Olympic athlete, but she's. She's a sports person. Do you know what I mean? She does lots of other sports and it's so good for kids, for everything, for coordination. So my kids have always gone to athletic summer camps since they were very small. And just getting those kind of agility and skills that you get through athletics can bleed into so many other sports, you know, whether it is football or rugby, whatever it is you end up going into. And I think there has to be a more holistic kind of approach to athletics rather than it being an add-on as it seems to be. Do you know what I mean? It's It should be the core almost of of what kids do and yeah. and the beauty of it as well you go down to the athletics club near us there's kids who yeah they definitely look like you know they're going to be distance runners there's kids who are bigger kids who suddenly pick up a discus and go oh I love this you know there's kids who are doing hurdles there are kids who are in the long jump pit there's something for everybody to do there you know and while it's obviously not going to be a career to be you know well you might be a few of the gold medalists but to be a discus thrower to have a focus on something, to go off to university with a sport that you can say, yeah. well, I'll do this. And who knows where that might take you? I think it's just, it's not about kind of, oh, well, I can't kick a ball, so I'll do this. Actually, how about if we look at it like, let's get our kids just doing as much movement as possible so that we then help with regard to mental health. We help with regard to their physical well-being so that they're not, you know, going into kind of childhood obesity issues and, you know, type 2 diabetes and all those things that are increasing. Yeah. So, I just, I just wish that um, it was seen as more than just a few weeks in the summer. Do you know what I mean? That um, in a lot of school curriculums, I'm, you know, my kids have been lucky because we live near a track, um, so it's only fifteen minutes to go to the Monday night or Wednesday night Amazing. club. You know, but but seek it out. Do you know what I mean? There yeah. are kind of running clubs everywhere. There are other other ways of getting into the sport. I think it's had an issue, obviously, with drugs and the, sure. all those things. But 
all sports have got their problems, yeah. you know. So no sport is perfect. I mean, you know, football might not have a prolific drug issue, but it has got, there is an issue where you think, hang on a it's minute. It's only a PR issue, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, where is this, is this sport, how does this relate to me? Yeah. You know, how does this sport yeah. relate to me anymore? Is it, you know, these people seem like almost soup kind of, Computer figures because it's a shame, isn't it? So there's there's all all sports have got issues, and I don't think that the the high end problems with athletics should preclude kids getting involved in what is a very pure. Actually, it's a very kind of pure sport, isn't it? It's not. Too, oh, it is. It's not too run as fast as yeah, you can. Run as fast as you can. As throw that as far as you can. Jump in the air. You know. There's so a, I mean, it's the purity about it. I just yeah. I'm nearly tearing up over my love because you kind of know you've done it. Do you know what I mean? You've yeah. done it. You've been at school and you've done that, and you can appreciate. You know when you see. Well, you see these people, don't you? You go, wow, that is... Like when I went to Vienna a couple of weeks ago and I saw Elliot Kipchoge run a sub-two-hour marathon, you know, you think, he's running, but not as I know it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When he's, yeah. like, you know, running every 100 metres at 17 seconds, you know, that is the most phenomenal pace to be doing something. And you just... The appreciation you have for somebody who's taken something that you do on a Sunday afternoon with your daughter, go for a run in the woods, and then, you know, look at him. It's amazing. Yeah. Look what he's doing. So I just I just think that the, the grassroots of the sport needs to be looked after. You know, I think it's a really... And then they'll come through, you know. But we also need to hold our, our athletics heroes um, high. You know, I think that there's a good chance that... Um, it hasn't been decided yet, so I don't know anything, but there's a good chance that Dina and Kat will be on the shortlist for Spotty. Oh, now, I know as I mean, a BBC person, I'm, people, surely, people always go, you know, oh, why Spotty? Well, it's just putting them up there, yeah. you know, on a pedestal and Everyone saying... Everyone Spotty as well, don't Well, they? yeah, people go, oh, it's not relevant anymore. Okay, well, nine million people thought it was that night. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and it'll get Everyone talked about, about it. it gets debated. As soon as someone does something, the debate is immediately... There'll be a Spotty shortlist, yeah. Got a chance of... Well, you, you know. need to go on any kind of, like, any of the betting kind of companies, immediately put somebody's Spotty yeah. odds up when they do something. Ben Stokes is Spotty odds were up within minutes of them winning that World Cup so um, yeah I think it's for me it's also interesting that athletics has always had men and women on the same playing field it's always had men and women competing side by side it's never had that as an, an issue and I've always wondered if with women's game in football would have been much quicker in its growth had had the games the World Cups for example happened consecutively mm. you know in the way that Paralympic yeah. comes off the back of the Olympics right. or uh, instead of it being kind of in a different you know and there's arguments both ways but I do think that tennis and athletics because they all compete in the same arenas at the same time People don't go, oh, it's a women's So sport. true. People don't watch the women's 800 metres and go, oh, but it's the women. Absolutely. Oh, you know, my God, you're oh, right. Yeah. The women. You know, they don't, they don't go, oh, I'll turn over now because it's the women's long jump. Yeah, oh, sure. I'll turn over now because it's the women's 100 metres. You know, it's it's just... That's so true. It's just great sport. Total parity, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, before we go, and I've done my Columbo thing of saying before we go and then ask 12 questions. <laughs> Has, did Lord Coe ever apologise? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I think um, maybe the next time I physically see him, maybe maybe he'll uh, we'll have a chat about it. I was thinking about the other day, actually, how just how bizarre it was for him to do that when we've known each other for a long time, worked together, sat on a sofa, strange comments to make. But um, And if you don't know what I'm referring to, I was out in Doha and he... Um, he said that I would it was okay me making judgments about the championships but I would disappear back to match of the day after a few days which was very odd considering I've done six years of athletics on the BBC and covered every minute that we've had you know hours and hours of athletics so I've never been a kind of dip in dip out I've, I've done everything we've got mate <laughs> you know what I mean I've, I've been there at Worlds you've done Europeans every and you know so I didn't I, that, that was a weird and I do far fewer match of the days <laughs> than I do athletics but um, it's just such a weird it yeah it was very weird say, and the thing he was referring to was that we were discussing the fact that this was a world championships and nobody was watching. In the first few days, the stadiums were empty and the stadium was empty and the women's 100 metres was run in front of probably as many people live on my road, yeah. genuinely. Yeah. Oh, no, no, and yeah. by the time Dean Rasher-Smith you know, got a silver medal behind Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price, Shelly-Ann Fraser was with the Jamaican frag doing her lap of honour, Dina just behind her, and there were two three pockets of people of about 20 or 30 people in the stadium. I mean, she would have been better off kind of going around my local Weatherspoons and, you yeah. know, had more appreciation. Absolutely. And that for that moment for an athlete is so, so important. You're not doing your job if you don't. So. And, and no. of course, I, was, I would have been an idiot to just pretend sure. it wasn't happening. Because everyone at home's going. Yeah, and, going you know, I'm a journalist and that's you're, you're there to tell the story. And, you know, when, when he said judgment, well, I think I'm allowed to say this is not great because we, we can equally, you want us to say when things are great, you know, it's dangerous as well. And we spent the whole of London saying how incredible the stadiums are yeah. packed out in 2017. So therefore, we need to point out these stadiums aren't packed out. And it was the local organising committee, I'm sure, that let them down. But that's not my fault. <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, as we said before at the very beginning of this, there are things in your career you think, should I have done that differently? Should I? I went to bed very easy with myself that night after his criticism, thinking, no, I, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I'm glad that we 
had that conversation on air, you know, because it was what my pundits wanted to talk about. It's what Michael wanted to talk about. It's what Denise wanted to talk about. So, yeah. I actually think it's one of the moments that, that in a very positive way, defines your career, Gabby. Oh, right. Yeah. I really do. I really feel, I felt so passionately about it. I, 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 I can't speak on behalf of the nation, of course, but I felt the outpouring on social media was good for you. Well, you know. it, it did seem that there was. There I don't were, mean the only thing that defines yeah, your career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but you know, if I was going to, I think a lot of people felt it was he'd picked on the wrong person. Totally. And I think that made him then look a bit like he was a bit naive. And you know, but I don't. You know, listen. I want. I want the sport to thrive. Absolutely. So absolutely, uh, G- Gabby. Um, as you can probably tell, I, the, well, I could do this as like a ten-parter. That was <laughs> honestly that was, that was an absolute blast. I it can't thank you enough. Really lovely. Thanks to a lot, Gabby. Uh, a great chat with you, James, as always. And thank you so much for having me. Bless you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thanks, Gabby. That thank was amazing. You. Thank you. What a legend, um, Gabby Logan. As ever, if you've enjoyed it, spread the word. Tell your friends. Share. Tweet. <laughs> Sound like a forty-one-year-old man trying to act. Like he knows all about social media. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, five-star review, positive write-up, helps no end. Uh, if you, ooh, if this is the first episode you've listened to, check out that back catalogue, uh, along with Ms. Logan, who uh, is obviously today's episode. I mean, that really did go without saying. There's been, there have been people such as Ricky Gervais, Fern Cotton, Regina King, Oscar winner, Patricia Arquette, Oscar winner, uh, Chris Akabusi, one of my absolute sporting heroes. And many, many, many more. Dame Jess Ennis. Heaps more. Romesh Rangelathan. I promise to stop uh, naming people now. Uh, anyway, huge thanks as always. It means the world. Um, oh, the new issue of Balance is out now. Please pick one up if you're in London and the surrounding areas. Our cover star is the great Nadia Hussein. Podcast with Nadia coming soon. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that sounded weird. Um, we're across the socials at Balance LDN. Website is balance.media. Shameless self-promotion. I am at James Gill Comedy. Huge thanks as always. And thank you again to Gabby Logan. And once again, the website is signa.com about stress management. Thanks again, Gabby. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.